12,000. Thank you, Nick. $12,000 would not be enough to buy enough food for this massive crowd of people. Eight, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to Jesus, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So we see Andrew, you remember who Andrew was? Back in John, in the first couple chapters there, he's the one that brings Peter to Jesus. Remember? Andrew believes in Jesus, and then he goes to his brother Simon, and he says, hey, we found the Messiah, come worship him. So Andrew already had this gift of being able to drag people places. And let me encourage you with this. If you're someone who invites people to church, and they actually come, praise God. We had a family this morning. I don't think you invited them, did you? They just kind of showed up today. But they said, we know Juan, and uh, he's a good guy. I'm like, yeah, he is. And there was a family right there in the back. How many of you have invited people to church and they actually came? Does that feel great? Like, I've been inviting, 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 and they finally made it. Andrew, he did that with Simon Peter. And then here, he takes a little boy from the crowd. And the question we ask is, where was this kid's parents? First of all, all right? You wouldn't send your kid out in a crowd by themselves. But this kid, it says, he has five barley loaves and he has two fish. I think we have a picture of that, what that would look like. These were not big fish. It was not like a five-course meal with all kinds of seafood, Pirates Landing. This was sardines, tiny little fish, and barley loaves. This was the very cheapest bread you could buy. So what could we equate that to today? A peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's what this kid had for lunch. Andrew says, I'm going to take that for the Lord, and I'm going to bless it, and Jesus is going to do something with it. Let me ask uh, the mom who is here with the little girl who's it's her birthday. We're going to celebrate her in a minute. But Janeth, would you take breakfast off the table from your daughter to go give it to a crowd of people that you've never met before and probably will never see again? Now, the Holy Spirit in her says, do it. <laughs> but her as a mom, she's like, no, because then the other one's going to be a little cranky. You took my sandwich. This little boy, God is going to use to bless this crowd of people. Now, Let's look at this. Verse uh, 9. This boy has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many people? Ten. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. And what does it say there? How many people were there? The men numbered 5,000. Okay? Now, in that culture, you would count, when there was groups of people, you would count by the fathers of each family. So there's 5,000 fathers there, plus wives, plus two or three kids, let's say. There's about twenty to 25,000 people here to listen to Jesus, to experience His miracles. There's a lot of people. There's a stadium. If you've ever gone to some of the soccer games here, I know you two you worked at a soccer uh, thing. There wasn't like 100 people there at all. He was able to draw 25,000 people seemingly out of nowhere. How do they get there? Who knows? So we have a problem. All these followers, or all these people who are...
you eat a lot and then you're just like really full and sleepy. What do we call that in our culture? You see how fat we are as a nation? We made up a term for it. I'm in a food coma, which is so disrespectful to like real coma patients. Something to think about. When they were full, he told the disciples, collect the leftovers so nothing is wasted. So they collected them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. That's amazing. He feeds them enough where even the 12 disciples that were with Jesus got to take home their own basket of food, of bread and fish. God provided even enough for them to take on the trip that they were about to make. And does this not kind of remind us a little bit of the Old Testament? Remember when God's people were in the desert wandering and it says that they were very hungry. They were complaining to the Lord. We should have just stayed in Egypt and died over there as slaves. And what does God do? He feeds them. What does God feed His people? Manna. This special bread that literally just fell out of heaven. They would collect it, eat it, enjoy it. That's amazing. That's great service. Like instantaneous, every day it's going to be there. Amazing. Until they were full. And you remember what happened in Exodus when they would eat the manna, but then try to save some for tomorrow? What would happen to that manna? It would get full of worms. It would go bad. Because God was teaching them, don't store it up and try to depend on yourself. Depend on God, who every day will provide for you. So we continue there. 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, the miracle, they said, this truly is the what? They should have said, this is the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. They didn't say that. They said, this is the prophet. The prophet who is to come into the world. So they accepted. Moses told us there was going to be some great prophet, but we don't believe he's the Son of God. And I was talking to Juan about this actually, that um, I used to serve at another church and the, the leader of the pastor, um, and this is not West Brownsville, but the, it was a church plant. The leader of the pastor, he's, um, he was preaching, talking about Jesus, and he made a distinction. He said, Jesus is not God, he's the Son of God. And I remember that kind of bothered me. So after the service, I approached him, like, hey, brother, I don't think this is right. Jesus is God. He's the second member of the Trinity. He's, he's the Lord. He's God in human flesh. And he just couldn't wrap his mind around that. And that really bothered me a lot. And I see this with these people. They see the miracles. No one's ever done this. The closest we have to it in the Old Testament was literally the manna falling out of heaven. That was God. Or we have the prophet Elijah, remember? He was pouring oil for the widow, but that was to sell. That was not to just eat herself. I mean, she could eat if she wanted. No one's ever done this. But they said, this is the prophet. 15. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So what happens here? They say, we like you. You give us the material things we want. We want you to be our king. Now, we would think that's a good thing, right? You want Jesus as king? They wanted him as king, not so that he could rule over them, but so that he could give them the stuff that they wanted. I'll ask you this. Why do you worship Jesus? Do you worship him for the stuff he gives or because he can rule over your life? When we say he's my Lord and Savior, what you're saying is he's my Savior, meaning he gave me salvation, but he's also my Lord, meaning I submit to him, I surrender to Jesus. You must ask yourself, do I believe in him because of the stuff or do I believe in him because of who he is? 
And what did Jesus do here? He taught us a great lesson. And I said this in the morning, I'll say it again. For any of us who consider ourselves important, ministry leaders, or someone that the church can't do without, Jesus didn't want earthly glory. He didn't want people to make a big deal about him. When you walk in the church building, he didn't want his face in the entrance. He wanted to fulfill his mission. And what was his mission? To go die on a cross for our sins. Jesus taught us that he's not just here to meet our material needs, but our spiritual needs. And they did not want that. Now let's talk about this, about meeting needs, provision. Because a lot of us, as we see inflation rising, the dollar doesn't go as far as it used to. Just ask your car, doesn't go as far as it used to. Like, oh, this year we don't want to take a vacation because we want to be wise with our money. No, just you can't afford the gas, be honest. That's why you don't want to go anywhere this year. God and provision. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy. In the Old Testament, this is God talking to his people. And he says this. Let's read it all together. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Pause. No, but God would never let me be hungry. God would never let me suffer. He says there, He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Read, continue with me. Then He gave you manna to eat, which you and your ancestors had not known, so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I love that verse. It says, The Lord provided for you, but He let you suffer a little bit. So you would realize it's not about you. It's not about your strength. It's not about you getting a promotion, getting a degree, talking your way into a higher salary. It's not about you. Because my friends, we know, we know this to be true. We get sick and things fall apart right away. And I tell you this because we, my wife and I, we had COVID. Thank you again for helping with the church. It's not about us. It's about the church. But when we had COVID, we didn't get to work for two weeks, me or her. And we were really thinking, hoping that maybe they're going to you know, pay us. It's not like we don't want to work, we just can't. And unfortunately, we did not get paid our salary for those two weeks. So we lost a good amount of money. And then, as I shared in the morning, uh, I come back to church, meet with someone, and they didn't know what we were going through, but they gave me an envelope with a very large amount of money as a blessing, saying, God wanted us to give this to you because we believe in you. And they gave it to us. And that amount that was given in that envelope was the same amount of money that we didn't earn those two weeks. So God filled the gap. God provided. Am I saying God's always going to do that? No. But God provides. He let us go hungry, so to speak, so then He could feed us. And so we might learn to not depend on ourselves, depend on Him. The job you have, He gave it to you family you have he gave it to you trust in the lord and his provision look at this in psalm 50 psalm 50 10 through 15 and read it with me it says this for every animal of the forest is mine the cattle on a thousand hills this is god speaking i know every bird of the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine if i were hungry i would not tell you for the world and everything in it is mine do i eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats Offer a thanksgiving sacrifice to God and pay your vows to the Most High. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will rescue you and you will honor me. God is not lacking anything. A Dios no le falta. He doesn't need anything. You know, some people, we never, we really have not preached about like money here. I think maybe just how to steward it well. 
but we've never done a collection for $1,000 each that God wants you to give. We don't do that, and we're not going to do that. And you individually know that you're supposed to give cheerfully, joyfully, and we support one another. But there's some people who get a little angry, like, why does God want my money? What is he going to do with it? You know what? Keep your money. God doesn't need your money. He literally owns everything. It says, I own the birds. I own the animals. I own the mountains. I own the silver and the gold. What can you give me that I don't already have? That's what the Lord says. And the good news is, my friends, He provides for us. God and His provision is much better than what you think you can do on your own. Lastly on this, Jesus in another gospel, Matthew 6, He tells us this regarding provision. He says, so don't worry saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Have you thought about that? Do you worry about what you're going to eat? You know what we call that in America? Meal prep. We call it meal prep. What am I going to eat Monday, Tuesday so I don't get fat? <laughs> he says, why are you worrying about what are you going to eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? I ask this in the morning, I'll ask you again. Husbands, how long does your wife take to get ready in the morning? Because she's worried about what she's going to wear. Does this make me look a certain way? No, honey, you look chef's kiss. Fantastic. Can we just hurry it up? And how many of you wives, it's not you that takes long, it's him. He takes way longer than you do. Es que los pelos, tengo tres pelos, I got to make sure they look nice. <laughs> we worry about our appearance so much. I got to push the joke a little bit. We're worried about what we eat, how we're going to look. And the Lord says, why even worry about that? Does Pastor Manny say you can't take a shower? No, please, take care of yourself. Bañate. <laughs> 32. For the Gentiles, says Jesus, those who don't believe, they eagerly seek all of these things. Do you have unbelieving friends? Have you checked the things that they follow on social media? It's always sneaker companies, clothes com clothing companies, technology companies. I always want the latest and greatest thing He says, the Gentiles think about these things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. 33. But, here it is. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all of these things will be provided for you. You take care of God's kingdom, He will take care of you. So is that why I should serve God so that I can have? No, my friends. But we know that God will protect us. He will provide for us. There will be seasons where you'll, you'll struggle a little bit. I share this in the morning too. When I got saved at 18, and my sister can be my witness, from 18 and maybe a few years forward, a lot of the clothes I would wear were gifted. They just gave them to me at church. I remember I had one uh, black, like, what is this called? I don't even know what it's called. Uh, blazer? I had a blazer. I don't know if you remember this one. I would wear it to every Wednesday, every Friday, every Sunday. That thing stank. <laughs> it was not a very clean blazer but it was the only one I had that someone had gifted me and I loved it because it was a gift I was not embarrassed to wear like gifted clothes hey praise God and I was sharing this with my pastor he loves to give like clothes and they always give him clothes and he gives us clothes God's always dressed me so if you think I look like silly don't blame me like God gave it to me I'm, jo I'm joyful for it and if it's a little big I'll grow into it give me a few months Seek first the kingdom of God, and He will provide all of these things for you. How are you serving the Lord? 
How are you taking care of his kingdom? What interests you? What, what do you invest your time, money, and energy in? We're not on the earth, my friends, to get rich and die young and look nice doing it. We're on the earth to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And my question will be, who are you discipling right now? If every single one of us would disciple one person, that's, I don't know, a lot of people that would get to know Jesus. And I'm not saying that would come to Logos. Send them wherever they need to go. But you disciple them. You tell them who Jesus is. You teach them the Bible. That's what we're here for. Seek the kingdom and its righteousness. If you, my friend, are living in sin and you're asking God to bless you, the answer is no. Because God wants to protect you. He won't, he won't bless you so that you can go sin. He'll cut you off. He's listening to me there. <laughs> Such a good sermon, right? Got to hear it twice. <laughs> but here's the thing. This miracle of feeding the 5,000, it wasn't about feeding the 5,000. You, know you know why Jesus fed the 5,000? To teach Philip and Andrew a lesson. It's amazing. <laughs> they benefited from this little lesson he was trying to teach Philip and Andrew. And the lesson is this. Jesus is God. Jesus is creator. And the same way he made, what was the first miracle he did? Water into wine. All the Baptists said, no, it's grape juice. It's wine. He made grape juice. No, he made wine. Here, he makes what else? What else does he make in this miracle? Bread. Which we're about to celebrate. Wine and bread. And he also makes what? Fish. And what was the first meal Jesus ate with his disciples after he resurrected? A meal of fish. Little details that you should follow along in the Bible. Now, Let's go to John chapter 6. We shift from this uh, first miracle that we see here. And the result was they wanted him to be an earthly ruler. He said, no, thank you. That's not why I'm here. And we move on to the next miracle. John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. And this is already the fifth miracle. Jesus walking on water. For those of you taking notes, you can cross-reference this with Matthew chapter 14 and Mark chapter 6. Jesus walks on water. Let's look at this in John 6, 16 through 21. It says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. So they've been feeding people all day. They're exhausted. They're tired. Jesus is going to send them away to the next city. His disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat, and they started across the sea to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. A high wind arose, and the sea began to churn. Okay, so what's happening here? The Sea of Galilee, and we have a picture. Let's go ahead and skip forward a little bit. This is the Sea of Galilee. It's massive. It's very, very big, at least from a human perspective. It's big. It was about 33 miles wide. It was 700 feet below sea level. Brownsville, what do you think our sea level altitude is? We're at zero. We're at sea level. We're about one or two miles above sea level, very low. And, but this was 700 feet under sea, sea level. So if you can picture it, here's a sea, it dips into a giant bowl, then it keeps going. And what happens there? A lot of storms would continue to pop up. Randomly, you could be fishing, out of nowhere comes a massive storm because you have the wind coming down from the mountains, you'd have the heat from the ocean, it would just mix, big storms would happen there. 
in the Sea of Galilee. And you can visit there today. It's still there. It says they got into a boat and started across. The high wind arose, the sea began to turn, 19. And after they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat and they were afraid. I mean, wouldn't you be? You're three miles into the ocean and you see, you see someone walking towards you. Like, how'd you get here? <laughs> and how are you standing right now in the ocean? They were afraid. 20. But he said to them, underline this, it is I, it's me. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him on, the, on board and at once the boat was at the shore where they were heading. A couple things here. They could have set up camp with the crowd and made up a little kingdom and said, yeah, we're going to start this. Let's make Jesus famous. They didn't do that. They said there's more work to do in other cities. So they went to Capernaum. We see here the storm brewing, which was very common. And think about this, the spiritual warfare kind of going on behind the scenes. Because if the devil, the enemy, could kill the disciples, could even drown Jesus, then he defeated God's plan. Jesus never would, would have made it to the cross. But we see Jesus having power over creation. We see Jesus walking over the water. Now, if you remember with me, Genesis chapter 1, what does the Bible say there? In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. And what else? The earth was void, formless, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Here, that's the first member of the Trinity. Here we see the second. We see the Son. He's literally walking on the water. It's amazing. Because Jesus is the Creator, He could command creation to do what He wanted to do. So He could tell water, don't let me sink, and He wouldn't. He could tell a storm, stop, and it would stop. Now, this is the beauty of going through the Gospels. You can cross-reference. So let's do exactly that. Matthew 14 kind of fills in the gap. Here it tells us that they were in the middle of a storm. Jesus came and took them away from the storm. But Matthew 14 fills in the gap a little bit. And we see this. We see Peter walking with Jesus. It says this in verse 28. This is Peter talking. Lord, if it's you, because they thought it was a ghost. If it's you, Peter answered, command me to come to you on the water. Very brave and bold, Peter. We love Peter. 29. Jesus said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out. What did he cry out? Okay. But now let's say it with boldness, right? What did he say? He said, Lord, save me. I mean, if some of us were drowning, my friends... Lord, save me. <laughs> he was exclaiming. He was drowning. Lord, save me. And isn't that the heart of a Christian? Lord, save me. You think Peter cared about money, fame, power, all these things in that moment as he's drowning? He didn't care about that. He's, Lord, save my life. Save me. 31. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and he caught a hold of him and he said to him, O oh, you of little faith, what's the question he asks him? Why did you doubt, Peter? And if you're Peter, you're like, do I need to give you a reason? Look at the storm. Look at the waves. I've never walked on water before. This is a first for me. 
He asks him, why did you doubt? You know what's offensive to God? It's when we doubt him. When we don't believe him, that's an offense to God. Somebody asked me yesterday, what is the unforgivable sin that the Bible talks about? It says that God will forgive everything except one, which is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean, blasphemy? Blasphemy is when you're, an, an image of this is you're making something dirty that shouldn't be dirty. That's an, an image of blasphemy. So in other words, it's you saying that the Holy Spirit is lying. In other words, it's you saying that the Holy Spirit who's trying to convince you that Jesus is the Son of God, if you don't believe it, that's the one thing God will never forgive if you don't believe in the Son of God. And that's why when I was praying, I said, kind of uh, Freudian slip there, I was like, for, forgive us if we've ever sinned, if we've ever doubted you. And I kind of caught myself. We doubt all the time. We doubt every day. When he promises, you'll be with me in paradise, we doubt. I wonder if that's even true. And if I die and if just nothing happens, what then? Jesus, you promised you would be with me until the end. What if you're not? Or Jesus promised that if we belong to him, he would never let us out of his hand. And then we go and doubt. Well, what if I sin and I lose my salvation? He would say the same thing. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? And you can kind of feel like a tender, a tender voice with this. Not like regañando, getting after him. He didn't, he didn't do that here. It's kind of tenderly picking him up out of the water, saying, you of little faith, don't doubt. Don't doubt me, Peter. You saw what I could do. They literally had just seen a miracle of feeding 20,000 people, and he was doubting if a little water could hurt him. 32. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and then those in the boat worshipped him and said, what did they say, my friends? Truly, you are the Son of God. They have faith. They believed. I mean, that's why I love the Gospels. They fill in the blanks where you might miss some details. You should read all of them. So we see two miracles. Jesus feeding a multitude. Jesus walking on water. And what was the purpose of the miracles? Again, to prove that He is who He says He is. Now, let's wrap up with this. In that moment... These disciples, including Peter, had their faith tested. And let's look at what the Bible says about testing your faith. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. It says this, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. And many of us would not say amen to that. What do you mean joy when I'm suffering? I'm supposed to be happy when I'm suffering? Joy when I'm in a trial? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. It says there, the testing of your faith produces endurance. Another word for endurance is what we said in the morning, patience. And we said this, when we ask God for patience, He sends trials. Because that's how He makes you patient. That's how He makes you wait on His promises. Testing produces faith. Faith produces endurance. So if you're going through a season of testing, know this. 
if you overcome that test, you will have more endurance. And it's not on you. And I'm going to ask, what are some of the tests that you're going through right now? Is it someone who's sick and dying? Is it abandonment by someone you thought they cared about you? Is it feeling alone as in an individual? You just feel alone. What's the season of testing? And then let's go to the other side. Persecution. Do you experience persecution because of your faith? None of us experience it, experiences it to the degree that the disciples did, where they were literally running from city to city trying not to die. But we experience pushback, rejection by some of our family members. It says that will produce endurance. Let's go to the next verse here, 1 Peter 1. And I like this because Peter learned his lesson from this experience walking on water. Look at what he says in his letter. Why don't you help me read it? Verses uh, 6 and forward. This is what it says altogether. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Pause there. It says some of you are suffering for a short time. And I'll encourage you. It's not always going to be like this. It's not always going to be like this. Now, what does God consider a short time? This life. Your life here on earth. Because God's eternal. Time is non, non, uh, not affecting the Lord. He's not bound by it. So God might allow you to suffer in this season. Have you, let me ask you this. Have you thought about this? What if I develop some disease? And for the rest of my days here on earth, I'm bound to a wheelchair or a hospital bed. Would you curse God then? Would you reject your faith then? And I'm not trying to scare you or you know, press you too hard, but I want you to think about that. A very real possibility. We got sick and we had to just be locked down for two weeks. Couldn't do anything. Now imagine you develop some disease, some illness. You get injured on the job out of commission for the rest of your life as far as being physically useful, would you curse God or would you trust God? It says, verse 7, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Gold, when you find it as a mineral in the earth, how do you get it nice and clean? You got to put it in fire. Fire burns off all the impurities, and then you get nice and pure gold. And he says your faith is like that. Before we can refine it, make it strong and useful, it needs to be tested. Refined by fire. Fire is not pleasant. How many of you burned your hand on the stove as a kid? Never did that again. How many of you ladies burned your hair or your neck with the iron, the hair iron or the cur uh, curling thing, just burned your ears? Like, oh, I have a little birthmark. It's not a birthmark. You were just a little too excited. You see, fire is not comfortable. It's not supposed to be. It says your faith will result in glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. Have you thought about the day he'll return? What it'll look like, what you'll feel, what you'll say. Eight, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Some of the most joyful people are some of the people who are suffering the worst right now. And that doesn't make sense. Apart from God, that does not make sense. 
our brothers who are being beheaded for their faith on the other side of the world, there might be carnal fear in them, but their spirit is joyful because I'm going to see my Savior. I know who I have believed in. Some of the greatest joy you're going to have is when you're suffering and you get to experience a little bit of what Jesus got to suffer. That's the part we forget. Jesus suffered. A man of sorrows. A man familiar with suffering. We get to enjoy some of that with him. Nine. Because you are receiving the goal of your faith, which is what? The salvation of your soul. If you never experience any sort of pushback or suffering, you might need to examine yourself a bit. What are you doing? Where is my faith? I'm not saying go look for trouble, go look for persecution, go to your job tomorrow and say, fire me because I'm a Christian. You're not going to say that. That's foolish. But if you never experience any sort of pushback, you might not be paying attention. You might not be living for God openly, publicly. It's going to cost you something. It might cost us relationship. It might cost us a job. Especially nowadays where everything you've ever posted on social media is scrutinized and they'll look through it. And if you ever said homosexuality is a sin, you're canceled. Are you willing to suffer that? He says, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, salvation of your souls. And with this we'll finish, testing our faith. Jeremiah 32, the Lord says this. Let's read it all together. He says, Look, I am the Lord, the God over every creature. Is anything too difficult for me? There's nothing impossible with God. The only thing that seemed impossible to us was death. None of us can beat it. And He defeated death. When He rose from the dead, He defeated death. He says, there's nothing impossible. Is anything too difficult for me? Pray to the Lord. If you're suffering, pray. If you're sick, pray to the Lord. And I saw a post that I get where they were coming from this week on social media. But at the same time, I didn't appreciate it. It was something to the effect of, hey, if someone tells you they're suffering, don't just tell them to pray, but actually care for their mental health and a little bit of social justice messaging in there. And I agree. We should care for people, provide for their needs. But we don't understand yet how important prayer is. How important it is to feed our soul, to pour out what's in our heart to the Lord who listens and acts and actually can do something about it. I met a girl this summer, last summer actually, who was taking pills to normalize her mental health. And I told her, what happens if you don't take them? Oh, I get angry and I start seeing dark figures in my, in my sleep and they tell me to hurt people. And I was thinking, that's not a medical condition. That's a spiritual condition. Can I pray with you? Can we pray together? And after some time, she said, I'm not taking them, but I'm not seeing those things anymore. Like, praise God. Praise God for that. Because is anything impossible for God? Absolutely not. And we'll close with this. This is the sad part. Many saw the miracles, but they did not believe. 20,000 who shouted, Praise God, Hosanna, the King is here, later shouted, Crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him. And there was one on that boat who did not believe either until the very end. And that was Judas Iscariot. So the encouragement for us, brothers, sisters, friends, 
don't disbelieve, believe. And if you say my faith is weak, be like that father who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Because we serve a God who can do anything. Nothing is impossible for him. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this. Thank you for this message. And we thank you for the opportunity to read it, to study it. Lord, thank you for the honesty of this book that you inspired to be written. Showing us the fear that these men had on the boat. Showing us the greed that these people had, wanting more and more miracles and signs. Lord, please help us to love you, though we've never seen you. Help us to believe in you, though we've never heard your voice audibly. Help us to trust in you, especially when everything seems impossible. Lord, we want to know you. We want you to know us. We ask at this time, Lord, that you would forgive us for neglecting our spiritual life. Lord Jesus, as we look to you, we don't just see a miracle worker. We see God. We see our Creator. We see the Lord. And we honor you. We worship you today. And Lord, now as we take of the supper, we ask that you please remind us daily of the sacrifice that your Son experienced for us. That we would see the nails in those hands and feet. We would see the body broken, beaten, bloodied on the cross for us. Help us to feel the weight of our sin, but also help us to not get stuck there. Instead, cry out to you for salvation. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying. Thank you for rising. And thank you for teaching us to depend on you for our provision. May we never forget that you're the one who feeds us not only materially, but spiritually. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.